You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. The episode you're about to hear was initially released as a Patreon exclusive. These episodes are typically shorter than the ones you're used to hearing, but we think they're still interesting, and we hope you'll agree. Welcome to Something's Not Right. I'm Olivia. And I'm Tashana. And we have another Thanksgiving story just for you patrons. And uh, it's going to be a pretty quick one. So shall we get into it? Absolutely. All right. Shortly before 9 a.m. on Thanksgiving 1983, a brown Dodge van, because everybody's driving a brown van. It's 1983. All the cars are brown. <laughs> Everything's brown. Clothes, Furniture's carpet, brown. Yeah. We're, Appliances. We're just sort of, you're living sort of a sepia-toned life here. <laughs> and so this van pulled to the curb at the Memphis office of Wells Fargo at 277 Monroe Avenue. The streets of Memphis were relatively empty at being Thanksgiving morning. Even if the streets had been choked with the usual morning rush hour traffic, the pair may have escaped notice. They both wore shirts bearing the Wells Fargo logo, and the men tried to unlock the door with a set of keys, but neither of the keys they had unlocked the door. So the men waited in their van for about 10 minutes before Marie Reitmeyer who had been working for Wells Fargo for about four years, left through a back door. The men pulled on what contemporaneous newspaper accounts called Mardi Gras masks. And, (laughs) yeah, I know, I don't know about it. Like, I'm just imagining, (laughs) like, the ones that have all the fucking feathers and shit attached to them. Not that, but that would be fucking hilarious. It would look like a drag show. So they <laughs> they pull on these masks and they run towards Reitmeyer. And one of the men pushed a pistol into her back and forced her and a guard named Donald Anderson 
inside, back inside the bank, and made them open the vault. Inside the vault were stacks and stacks of cash, bonds, and other securities. And after tying up Reitmeyer and Anderson, the men put the loot in the van. Took them less than 10 minutes. After that, they sped off into the Memphis morning. Though a silent alarm was triggered, the thieves were long gone before the police ever got there. All told, they made off with $6.5 million in assets. Damn. Five million of that was cash. Five million in cash. That's a very successful, that's a lucrative bank job. Yes. There were a significant amount of bonds and $1,000 blank cashier's checks from First Tennessee Bank that they got also. And this is the largest bank robbery in Tennessee history and the third largest in the history of the United States. So it was a big fucking deal. Damn, I'm kind of impressed. I mean, yeah. Reitmeyer and Anderson gave fairly good descriptions to the detectives. One man was, quote, heavy built in his late 30s and weighing about 250 pounds. He had collar length brown hair, a small tattoo on his wrist and had, quote, strong body odor and dirty fingernails. Yeah. He wore what papers called a, you'll love this, a fat drunkard's mask with big cheeks, big lips, droopy jaws, bushy eyebrows. Pug nose, black hair, nickel-sized eye holes, and no mouth opening. It sounds a little creepy. It sounds Um, like a fucking hobo mask. Yeah, kind of. And I'm going to see what I can find in the way of pictures to put up with this. The second man wore a similar mask, but was shorter and lighter. He was about 5'8", 200 pounds. And his voice was, quote, high-pitched and squeaky, which police suspected was just an effort to disguise his voice hmm employees at nearby businesses and other onlookers had noticed the van that morning most remembered it had a smiley face sticker near the license plate and the plate number began with the 23t citywide roadblocks turned up nothing wells fargo which had been hit in a $7 million robbery in Connecticut earlier that year, offered a $350,000 reward. The FBI jumped in, announcing a nationwide manhunt and saying they had fingerprints on the tape and rope used to tie up Wright, Meyer, and Anderson. So they're maybe off to a good start. Clyde Keenan, a former Memphis Police Department detective, told Memphis Magazine in 2008 that local police and the feds turned their attention to Reitmeyer and Anderson. So maybe they were thinking it could be an inside job. Quote, there was a lot of attention focused on the two employees who had been tied up, he said. Either they were very lucky or there was just something we weren't finding. Searches of Reitmeyer's home and multiple polygraphs showed nothing. In fact, Reitmeyer took so many polygraphs, she hired an attorney and threatened MPD with a suit for harassment. Damn. The trail went cold for months. There were no new leads. But then, eight months later, there was a weird, weird break. A Metairie, Louisiana man named Nathan Gervais went to the FBI office in New Orleans and fessed up to the Memphis robbery, implicating his partner, 
a New Orleans police sergeant named Ooh. Jimmy Broussard, as well as his own wife, Marilyn. And it turns out Marilyn Gervais had been having an affair with Broussard and told her husband she was going to leave him and take most of that stolen money. In the eight months since the robbery, the trio had learned a hard lesson about stealing large sums of cash. It's hard to spend it without drawing attention to yourself. Yeah. They bought property, new cars, spent as lavishly as one can at roadside bars in Louisiana, and what? stuffed bills into the walls of their home. Nathan Gervais said he was moving to Bolivia, which is when his wife dropped the hammer about her affair. So I guess that kind of pissed him off. Brought in for questioning, the trio said the mastermind behind the whole thing was none other than Marie Reitmeyer, who had beaten polygraph after polygraph months earlier. Damn. Reitmeyer was, in fact, Broussard's sister. Damn. She told her brother she'd known for years it would be easy to rob Wells Fargo because there was almost no security. Broussard convinced Marilyn Gervais to serve as getaway driver, and she, in turn, talked her husband into coming along. Did Nathan Gervais really give up the ghost because his wife was leaving him, or was he feeling the heat from the FBI? It's hard to say. The commercial appeal reported that the FBI already had Broussard on their suspect list, though it provided no other details except to say that the Bureau had been monitoring some of the corporations that had been set up ostensibly to launder the money. Memphis police picked up Reitmeyer at her modest Memphis home, and all four, the Gervaises, Broussard, and Reitmeyer, were charged with extortion by armed robbery, conspiracy to commit extortion, and transporting $6.5 million in cash and securities across state lines. So, and on that last one, I'm a little unclear, like, is the issue that they're transporting stolen cash and securities, or is there some sort of limit on how much you can transfer across state lines at a time? Well, so it's funny you bring that up, because I want What did you do? Well, now, I'm going to be at your house tomorrow... At three o'clock, and you just need to get in the car and not ask any questions. Okay. No, um, <laughs> and we're starting a new life. Um, but we're not going to Bolivia. Why there of all places? Well, that, that would be so confusing with my name. Bolivia, Olivia goes to Bolivia. That sounds like a, a pornographic film. I mean, I'm not <laughs> saying that there isn't such a film. Oh, no, um, continue. Um, Anyway, I have watched a couple of things about how it's actually this issue where, uh, like, there's a story I saw about a dude who he had, like, either just sold something for cash or was getting ready to purchase something for cash and had a bunch of it. I mean, like, I want to say, and I'm just going to throw a number out there, it was like $20,000. Lord. And he got stopped. Yeah, so his money gets seized by the police that pull him over. It's like some routine traffic stop or something. 
and he never gets it back. Like, and it just, the whole um, story or like report I watched, it just dealt with things being seized and people never getting them back. And then it also kind of calls into question, you know, that you can just take someone's money. Like, I'm not allowed to, like, have cash on me that I earned and is, you know, on the up and up. It made me really mad. Like, after I watched yeah, it, I was pissed. Some, that's some bullshit. Well, the Gervases pleaded guilty, but Broussard and Reitmeier decided to take their chances with a trial even though their co-conspirators were testifying against them and the stolen money was found hidden inside their homes. During the trial, a defense attorney said the hundreds of thousands of dollars found in Broussard's home, quote, would be the easiest thing in the world to explain, though he never did. During the week-long trial in October 1984, the Gervases testified that Reitmeier supplied the Wells Fargo shirts the keys that didn't work, and came up with the backup plan to stage the kidnapping. She also told the thieves how long it would take before the alarm triggered. After the robbery, the Gervases and Broussard drove back to New Orleans, stopping at a motel along the way to check out what they'd stolen. Figuring correctly, the bonds and the newer bills with trackable serial numbers could tie them to the crime, they burned them in a series of bonfires on their way back home, hiding the rest of the cash in the walls of their home and in the seats of their cars where, you know, once Larry Sellers steals your car for a joyride, it's just gone. Jesus. And uh, then you fight a stranger in the Alps. Because of their guilty plea and their testimony, the Gervases were handed light sentences. Marilyn got six years, Nathan seven. Broussard and Reitmeier, however, got 35 years apiece. All four were released early. The Gervases both did about five years, and Reitmeier and Broussard were paroled in July of 1994 after serving 10 years. All four are still alive and living in Louisiana. And that is the story of the Thanksgiving bank heist in Memphis. Well, you know, it started out with me being impressed and then quickly turned to just thinking we're a bunch of fucking rubes. You would have done it better. Definitely. I mean, it sounds like, all their like recon work was at the front end and they didn't do much thinking about what was going to happen after. Right. Right. But on the plus side, I'm glad we got to do this story. It was basically a victimless crime. We've done a lot of really dark ones lately. And so, you know, some dumb criminals where nobody is injured or killed. I'm, I'm into that. That was a nice little break. And uh, that leads me, doesn't really lead me there, but I have something else to say. <laughs> and if you guys are binging all the episodes we put out today, you're probably getting tired of hearing it. And the best way to stop me from hammering this point is for you to do what I say. <laughs> so I don't have to ask for this anymore. 
but we need your help. We want to go to CrimeCon to represent Something's Not Right in Flat Rock in 2020. But the people who organize that, they want people there who are going to draw a crowd, who are going to cause people to buy tickets to their event. That's just business. It's the way it goes. Sucks for us. But I mean, I get why they do it that way. So they're not going to invite us unless a lot of people tell them they want to see us there. And since we're here in our secret little Patreon situation, I'm going to tell you, I do not care if you don't intend to buy a ticket. I mean, of course, we would love for you to go and to hang out with us there. But if you're like, it's too expensive, I can't get time off. Totally cool. I get it. Just tell them anyway flat rock and something's not right because we want to go and get some exposure for these cases. We cover a lot of lesser known cases. And then there was with flat rock, there was Kathy Jones's case, which, you know, isn't really known outside of Nashville and isn't known all that well here in Nashville. And we want to get these names out there. And the best way for us to do that is to get out, meet people who are interested in this, get them listening, and then they can Go on and share it with friends. For sure. So I just keep going on and on and on. But it's all just right. go to our website, notrightpodcast.net. Right up there at the top, I've put some information. There's a link to CrimeCon survey. It's a quick five-question survey. I believe you don't have to fill out all the answers. Just make sure you put something's not right and flat rock on there. If you've got other favorite podcasts who haven't announced that they're going, put them on there too. Let them know they're getting two shows for the price of one with us. So just check that out on our webpage. We appreciate your help. And that's all I have to say about that. Thank you, as always, to Justin from Mysterious Circumstances, Audrey Arndt, Hope Brazel, Patton Fuquay, Allison Klima, Kathy Lind, Janet Logan, and Terry Quillen. Goodbye and happy Thanksgiving. Gobble, gobble. (laughs) 